All right, before we begin, I just want to take a moment, pray again, and just ask that God would direct this morning as we take a look at his word. Heavenly Father, I thank you again as we do each and every Sunday for your word. I pray now that you would guide and direct as we look at Luke's uh, uh, sharing of these two short parables. Lord, I just ask that you would guide and direct as we look at them, give us understanding. Lord, I pray that those that are here this morning, Lord, what they need to hear today, God, I pray will be relayed to them by the power of your spirit. Pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. Last week, we just had another miracle of Christ, and there was a response to that miracle where you have some people that are just joyous, and we have some people that are just angry. We got some people that the words that Jesus shares brings life. We have others that the words that Jesus shares feels like a harbinger of death. This is a very clear reality, and I think that for his followers, it would be a challenging thing to have this rabbi, this teacher that you love, to be rejected by people, and it's going to get worse, and I think that what ties into that is their understanding of what is this, what is this Messiah actually going to look like, and there's so many texts of Scripture where they're thinking Jesus, when he comes in, if he's the Messiah, he's eventually going to draw the sword and drive out the Romans. And as we know, that he does not do that. There are a lot of texts through the Old Testament that when you play out what does this Messiah look like, we hear some and we go, yeah, clearly that was Jesus. They had some confusion. They didn't understand what we can see a little bit more clearly now that that first time that our Messiah was to come, he was to come as that suffering servant to take care of the real problem, and that's sin. And so it would be difficult, I think, for them, and I think it can be difficult for us even now to understand what those things are all about. And so Jesus, in verse 18, it starts off with a, he said, therefore. So let's take a look at that, Luke 13, 18. It says, he said, therefore. And that therefore is telling us what, that this is flowing from what just happened. So it's quite possible he may still be in the synagogue, okay, after this healing just happened and there's this response to it. And so he says to them, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? And so he's going to tell them what the kingdom of God is like by means of story or parable. And so remember, keep in mind. There's people that are frustrated, there's people that are happy, and they're hearing their Savior, their King, their Messiah describe his kingdom, okay? So let's listen to what this kingdom is like to Christ. He says this, it's like a grain of mustard seed the man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Matthew shares this parable as well has a little bit more detail. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. Matthew includes this part. Smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, let me throw out there before we dig into this a little bit of commentary. There's a little bit of a challenge with dealing with this particular parable because whether or not you've heard differently, the mustard seed does not grow into a tree the way we would think of a tree. 
okay? Uh, most likely what it's referring to is a plant that would have looked about like this. Now, this particular plant, this is the uh, black mustard plant. This can grow up to 10 to 15 feet tall. Putting it into the category, at least, is they're, they're concerned of being willing to call it a tree, so to speak. What's amazing about this plant is it's actually, it's in the Mediterranean area, it's actually an invasive species of plant in America. In fact, there's, there, you can find videos of people talking about how you can train your livestock to eat just this plant to try to fight its invasiveness, right? Uh, you can find, I guess, out in California, there's a big problem with the black mustard plant. What's amazing about it is it does, in fact, because it's such an invasive species, it can get out of hand even when it was in the Mediterranean, and it can basically take over and dominate an entire field fairly easily. And what it does, it basically becomes its own ecosystem. And birds do, in fact, find nesting in this plant. Birds roosting in the branches are often a symbol for the nations of the earth. And so now what I want to do now is I want to take just a brief look back through the Old Testament because I think it's important to try to hear these teachings of Jesus, not just through our modern lens, but how would his people have heard it, okay? These people would have been well-trained in the teachings of the Old Testament. Unfortunately, that's not always the case with us, right? And I threw in that word, unfortunately. That is an unfortunate aspect. We are not as well-trained in the Old Testament as they would have been. And that's an important thing. If you really want to understand what's going on in the New Testament, it's important to understand what was going on in the Old Testament and to recognize these stories for what they are because they would have heard them a certain way. And so this idea of a tree being a nesting place for birds is a hugely important thing. You can find in Daniel chapter 4, for example, King Nebuchadnezzar in one of his dreams has a dream of a tree that brings fruit to the nations. Same picture is represented. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it ends up being Nebuchadnezzar is the tree and that tree gets cut down. In Daniel's uh, interpretation of what the vision is, that's what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. In Ezekiel 17, after a long parable about trees that are planted and doing the same thing growing up and they're all getting knocked down, Eventually, in Ezekiel 17, near verse 22, there's a new parable given in Ezekiel about a tree that God himself plants, and it becomes a huge tree that provides for all sorts of birds. You find that again in Ezekiel 31, another parable of a tree that provides. This one again fails. It's Assyria, but it's, at some point it's grown up, and it's providing for all kinds of people across the world at that time. I share these to say that this imagery would have been very familiar to Jesus' listeners. They would have heard this, and they would have been like, oh, that. so if, when Jesus was first telling it, the kingdom is like this, they would be like, I know exactly what he's talking about. That's what kingdoms are like. And Jesus threw in the extra little piece of information that it's like a small, the smallest of seeds, this mustard seed, and it's plant, and it goes, and it grows, and it does this thing. That's what the kingdom is like. In Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel is being given a vision of a new temple. That new temple is not going to be a physical temple, unlike what a lot of people think. That new temple in Ezekiel is all about who Jesus is. Jesus is the fulfillment of that temple in Ezekiel. Okay, That temple that he's talking about is going to be Jesus himself, and he fulfills that. In fact, if you're like, well, how do you know that? Jesus actually says that. He goes, destroy the temple, and I'll build it back in three days. 
He is that structure. He is that new meeting place with God. And you find in Ezekiel 47 that when we get to the end of Ezekiel, or the end of this parable, talking about this, this vision that Ezekiel has about this new temple, it's been constructed, and there's this guide giving Ezekiel a tour of this temple. And he goes around in Ezekiel 47. I want to share this with you because it plays into the idea. There's a similar concept that's brought about. Uh, I'm going to read to you Ezekiel chapter 47, starting with verse 1. It says this, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. So Ezekiel has this vision of this temple, and this temple, he comes around to the east side, and there's this little trickle of water. Can you picture it in your heads? See that little trickle of water? Can you just try to picture a little trickle of water coming out of it? It's weird that it's flowing out, but there's a spring of life. Wow, that sounds like a lot of other things Jesus talks about, but it, it's flowing out of it, right? Then he brought me out, verse 2, by way of the north gate and led me around to the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east, and behold, the water was trickling out the south side. So it's gone out of the temple, it's trickling out, and they find. So this guide brings Ezekiel out, and he can see it. There it is, it's trickling out, right? Just a trickle of water. Verse 3, going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and it led me through the water and it was ankle deep. So this little trickle of water is now ankle deep. So can you picture Ezekiel and this guy that's with him and kind of splashing through the water? Can you picture that? And he says, oh, this is up to my ankles, right? And getting measured a thousand, led me through the water and it was knee deep, right? So this little trickle of water flowing from who Christ is. Can you picture it? Getting bigger, broadening. Again, he measured a thousand. Led me through the water and it was waist deep. Can you see Ezekiel wading through this river now? Waist deep. And he measured a thousand. It was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen and it was deep enough to swim in. A river that could not be passed through. Now it's deep enough that you could dive right in and swim in it. Ezekiel's vision goes on to talk about how this river flows out to the sea and actually makes it fresh. He talks about fishermen being able to catch all kinds of sorts of fish, all you name it, that was there. This river is bringing life and it's flowing and filling and affecting the entire earth is what this river is doing. If we go down to verse 12, we can read this. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water of them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Do you hear that tree in there again? Now keep Keep some of these images in mind because some of you, now some of you are smart and you go, oh, that sounds really familiar to something else. You're right, it does. Don't miss one particular element of what's being demonstrated in this passage in Ezekiel and in Jesus' story. God often works in ways that start small but eventually fill up everything. So for those followers, it was important to understand if they were thinking he was just going to go, kaboom, 
and start his kingdom that way? No. This is going to start small. Now, we have historical eyes. We can look back. Is that how? So there's Jesus, and then there was the 12, right? And after Christ was resurrected, they had a command to go where? Into all the world, right? Into all the world, preaching the gospel. And you can see historically this gospel message spreading, affecting, bringing life. First, it made it this far, Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. They took that command seriously. So a lot of people don't realize uh, there's a lot of different roles. That there's, if you look at all those disciples and the historical, where they ended up, one of my favorite ones is Timothy. Timothy, not Timothy, um, Thomas. Thomas made it to India, right? What we think of as India. There was actually a church when some missionaries made it to India. They found a church, the church of Thomas, that had been founded by, guess who? Thomas. He had died there, pierced with arrows, I believe, was his story. But these disciples took this seriously. They, I believe, understood and comprehended this kingdom was not going to come like a door being burst open, but like a mustard seed. And maybe like a trickling river from Christ himself that will eventually fill all the earth, right? Now, there's our first image. Hold on to that image because that that old image is going to play into, in fact, that old image that was right there plays into an even older image. If you go all the way back to Genesis, there's some rivers, right? And they're bringing life and there's trees and there's life and there's all these good things that gets disrupted by sin. At the very end, I think we may see some similar imagery displayed. So hold on to those pictures. They play throughout. Now, God's kingdom may not conquer the way you think, but it grows and grows. Let's listen to the next part he has. Let's go back to Luke. Luke chapter 13, verse 20. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Now, again, I don't want you to think that, now, me, I, here's what I, when I have illustrations, I quite often introduce them this way because I'm sitting there thinking, eh, I got to come up with an illustration right now. And I start to grasp, go, what could I make this kingdom of God's like? Uh, and then I come up with something. I do not believe at all that's what Jesus is doing because listen to his illustration. You're going to find there's a connection that ties way back. Okay, so he says again, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? I don't think at all he's like wondering, stalling for time. Listen to what he says, verse 21. It is like leaven. Okay, what's leaven? Thank you. Yeast, right? Yeast. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, some of you have experienced this. Those of you that have made sourdough bread, you can even take a pinch off that has just a little bit of leaven in it, and you can put it in something else, right, and knead it in, and next thing you know, it works its way through all of it. That yeast works its way through all of it, okay? Matthew's version, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened, not much different in Matthew's 
version of this story. Let's first of all talk about a couple things about this flour and this leaven. First of all, the three measures. You, if you have a version that says uh, he, three loaves, that's terrible translation. Three measures of flour is most likely the size of a bushel, okay? 18 inches by 12 inches, that's a bushel basket. Uh, three measures a measure kind of figured out to be about a third of what we would think of as a bushel, okay? So three measures. Is, so is this lady making just a little bit of... Now that's a lot of... That's, I don't know how much bread that would make. That's making a lot of bread, isn't it? If it's three measures, and I'd like to point out, this isn't important, but I'd like to point out it's not gluten-free bread. I mean, this is good bread, okay? And let's get as much gluten as we can in there. No barley, no, we've got refined, fine flour we got going on here, right? And we're going to make some bread. But it's a lot of bread and a lot of flour. Leaven in the Bible, let's deal with another side issue. Leaven in the Bible normally refers to something evil, okay? The leaven of the Pharisees. Have we had that in Luke already? Oh, that was a sad... Sad response. You guys need to pay closer attention. Was that in Luke already? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to, uh, yes, Mr. Harmless, just yeah. to make me feel better. Yes, Mr. Harmless, it was. Yes, okay. Now, yeah, you guys. Um, leaven of the Sadducees, we hear about. We, hear about the, we actually hear a story of the leaven of Herod, uh, King Herod. Uh, there's a lot of illustrations that deal with leaven in a negative context. And I'm telling you right now, there's a lot that has to do with that. If you go back to the Old Testament, the children of Israel, when they were coming out of Egypt, and I heard a pastor put it this way in this last week, it was easy to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, but it was a little bit more difficult to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. And one of the ways that they did that was by cutting all ties, real or figurative. And so one of the things that you find in that Passover is no leaven from Egypt, right? We're breaking it all. And so you see that displayed in the Passover feast. Of course, that was the only time out of the year that they would have unleavened bread. The rest of the year, they could have leavened bread. Uh, but here's the thing. Leaven normally portrays it. In fact, there are some, you'll find in Leviticus, there are some sacrifices that actually did require leaven to be in the bread. It wasn't across the board always that way. But you see in this passage, what you find leaven to be illustrating is potency. And something that happens that you can't see, but you can clearly see its effects. So yeast in bread, you can't, I can't go, now maybe today with modern, you know, you know microscopes and things, we could see the, the actual yeast. But for them, they couldn't see the yeast in the bread. They could not see that, but you could clearly see its effects. It began to produce bubbles, right? That's what it would do. It was, it would, you'd see that dough rise. And it would work through the whole thing. You could take flour that had no yeast in it and mix a little bit in. Like I said before, some of that, like what we do with sourdough bread, you take a little pinch and it would work its way through the whole thing. Now, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is going to be like that. A little bit. Very similar to this mustard seed example, is it not? And he says, uh, let's, let's throw another illustration here. So he says, it's like leaven in bread. It's going to start off small and work its way through the, I think it's interesting, it says, through until the whole thing was leavened. Now, this illustration 
I think, would hearken back to something before. There's a principle, I think a good principle, the principle of first mention is what I've heard it called. If you want to go back, in fact, if you go back in the Old Testament, you find for yourself the first mention of, and I think it's the first mention of the actual baking of bread, but it's clearly the first mention of this measurement of bread, three measures of flour, and then making bread from it. You'll find this in Genesis chapter 18. Let's go to Genesis chapter 18, starting with verse 1. So I think, again, his listeners would have heard him say this, and it would have hearkened back. They would have known this story. Genesis 18.1. Let me give you the background. Sodom and Gomorrah are about ready to be destroyed by God's judgment. They're on their way to do this. The Lord and two angels are on their way to enact, carry out this judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. On their way, they appear to Abraham, and that's what this is about. The Lord appeared to him, speaking about Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So in the middle of the day, there's Abraham sitting, and he sees these three men. And I think he knows this is a unique, important moment. He lifts up his eyes, it says in verse 2, and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now, we're seeing here mostly a picture of ancient hospitality being acted out. This was a very important thing that they would do, is is to display or demonstrate hospitality to strangers. And so you see part of it with that. But Abraham here, I think, is clued in that there's a little bit more going on. Listen to what he says next. Let a little water be brought, wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread. Now keep that in mind, a morsel of bread. <laughs> okay, now just a crumb. Stay here. I'm just going to get you a little, couple little, little, little piece of bread, a little slice, right? Just a morsel. That you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Just a morsel, just a little bit of bread. So Abraham gets him set down. He runs off to the tent, finds his wife, Sarah. And as I would do, going to charity, quick. <laughs> right? Quick, three seas. Now this is what we believe, commentators believe, is the same measurement. How many measures? Three measures of flour? Three seas of flour? A fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Basically the same measurement. I think it's hilarious that he said, I'll just get you a morsel of bread. Would this have been just a morsel? (laughs) I mean, can you imagine their response? You know, I'm just going to get you a morsel of bread. And he comes out later with like enough to feed 100 people. You know, I mean, here you go, guys. Bread. While she's doing that, Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. I think he's trying to give the Lord a heart attack. I mean, we got some good bread. We got some red meat. Got some butter, I guess. I don't know what that is. Set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. How much longer till lunch we got? Now... 
we find the very next verse, a very important statement is about ready to happen. A very important statement that I think that you could say is a earth-wide, impactful, let's say, piece of leaven, a mustard seed. I think we're going to witness the very beginnings of this. They say, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, for those of you that don't know what this is about, this is about the promise of a son. There's a son of promise, as he will be referred to later. Isaac will be the son of promise. But even Isaac, as the son of promise, is only a minor version of the son of promise, Jesus. Now, this promise that is made, that is planted right here, this son, Isaac, will have a son who will have a son who will have a son and will go on down through time. You'll have all along this pathway of this lineage of this son, you will find times where the whole line is cut off but one child. It's precarious along the way. Hundreds of years, and then arrives the true child of promise. And just think, let this let this blow your mind. The son of promise, who eventually led to the son of promise, that came after a woman took three measures of fine flour and made some cakes. All these years later, that true son of promise says, "I got a story to tell you about a woman." who took three measures of flour and made cakes, and that's what the kingdom's like. Anybody have the chills? I had the chills when I, I noticed this. It's important for you to understand, even today, we want so often to God, for God to come busting in, don't we? You cannot read Scripture without noticing that God plays the long game so often. Does he not? God is playing, maybe even with you, in your small part of the bigger, grander story. What's he doing? Don't rush him. This story here. The woman, literally, at one point in history took three measures of flour and made cakes for God himself. That God promised, I'm going to bring a son. That son, the one true fulfillment of who that son of promise was, came and said, I want to tell you a story. That the kingdom of God is like this. I think it's quite possible that at that moment when that first word of promise was planted back in Abraham's day with Sarah, that that was the first little bit of leaven in the lump. Now, we're here. We're at the very far end, other end of this story. And I'm going to tell you right now, just look around the world. You may say, and you have to understand, Jesus does not do it in these parables, but there are so many parables where Jesus talks about the kingdom growing this way, and he'll talk about also, there's almost like this anti-kingdom. So now it's the wheat and the tares. And you see these two kingdoms, 
good kingdom of wheat and the evil kingdom of tares. You see these kingdoms going like this, growing up. And you cannot deny, by taking a quick look across this globe, that the evil kingdom, the anti-kingdom, is flourishing, is it not? But take heart. Sometimes you have to look a little bit deeper and maybe a little bit further, but the kingdom of God has been planted and is growing and it will succeed. It will succeed. When you watch the news and it seems like the evil kingdom is winning, understand that God's kingdom is continuing to flourish. I've heard some statistics lately. I shared one not that long ago that uh, I think that China has surpassed America in the number of Christians in China. There's more Chinese Christians than there are American Christians at this point. I heard just not that long ago that in the continent of Africa, we're about ready to be surpassed by how many evangelical Christians there are in the continent of Africa compared to in America. If you think that God's kingdom is not growing and flourishing, you are dead wrong. It is blooming. And I think that the day that Christ returns will be less like a booting in the door and more like a king who says, I have conquered this world. There's one more thing I need to conquer, and that is death. So often we hear about the story of the rapture, and we think, we think of it in a different way than the way the scriptures always portray the rapture as a king that has conquered a city already. And when, his, when the people come out of the city, it's to go back in because that city is conquered and the king, they want him to be the one that enters into the city fully conquered. I think you will find that is what's happening in our world today. God's kingdom is not losing. God's kingdom, though, is like a mustard seed. Now, I'd like to take you, as we end this, to Revelation chapter 22, because let's take a peek past that to the end. Because I think you're going to see the absolute complete fulfillment of things that were started in Genesis, have played out through all of history, that will come to a complete fulfillment in a future kingdom. A kingdom that is fully displayed Not one that will start, but one that has already started. And I want to say that a second time. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom that will start in the future. It is a kingdom that has already started. Okay? We're not waiting for the kingdom. The kingdom is come. Jesus said it. You go, well, how do you know? How many times did Jesus, how many times did he have to say it? How many times you can read the Gospels? He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's now. The full fulfillment you will find in Revelation chapter 22. Let's take a look there. And I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture. This, instead of Ezekiel being given a tour of things or another prophet, this time it's John who walked this earth with Christ himself, the beloved disciple, has been given a glimpse into the future And he sees this and he relays this part to us. He says this, the angel showed me the river. There's that river again. The river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. 
I wonder if it looked the same way it looked when Ezekiel was looking at it. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Don't, don't miss that. There will be nations that are healed, right? No longer will there be anything accursed. Okay, now I think that maybe we need to go back. There may need to be some amens. Let's go back. Should we? Should we? Let's go back. The angel showed me, and if you're like, I don't know when to say amen, I'm not used to doing that, I'll help you out, okay? And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, hold on, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, hold it, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Let's give a first one. Amen. Amen. Are our nations healed yet? No, they're a mess. But the kingdom, don't miss it. Is the kingdom already here growing? Eventually, it's going to dominate every aspect, like leaven going through an entire lump. No longer will there be anything accursed. Oh, that was weak. Amen. No more accursed bodies. No more accursed people. No more accursed ways of doing things. No more ridiculous, horrible things in the news that we have to watch. All, I, I don't know. Will there be technology in heaven? Will we turn on, will it be like heaven news, H&N? <laughs> all good news all the time. Turn it on. Jesus was ruling then. He's still ruling now. <laughs> Heavenly News Network. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Oh, you guys are not getting good at this yet. I, I, I don't see it physically yet. We will then. Won't that be awesome? His servants will worship him. Amen. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no lamp. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign. Forever and ever. Whatever you see today, whatever you see this week, this wasn't my initial application, but I'm going to go with it now. I want you to think of H&N. Right? CNN, there is good news that is already being broadcast throughout our globe. 
God's kingdom, like leaven, is working its way through every aspect of our world. And one day, one day, it will fill everything. One day, it will fill everything. And Jesus will reign physically on this earth where we can see him and we will see his face. Right now, we long to see it, don't we? I long to see it. I feel sometimes like I get glimpses of it. But there will come a day where we will see him face to face and the tears will be wiped and all that is accursed will be wiped out and he will reign and we will reign with him forever and ever and we'll never have to worry again that it's gonna fall apart because it won't. Let's rejoice as we go through this week. Every time you encounter something negative, something terrible, remind yourself that one day you'll flip on the the heavenly TV, and turn on H&N, and it will be all good. Dear Jesus, I just want to thank you so much that you, Lord, I, I want to thank you that we've gotten a glimpse of this grand story. Lord, what you're doing didn't just start. It started thousands of years ago, and it's being accomplished and it will be accomplished. So far, everything that you've said will happen has either already happened or will happen in our future. Lord, we are blessed beyond measure to even know this word of truth. You are the good giver of gifts, and the greatest gift you've given is to open our eyes to see this truth. Help us to be like good leaven, leavening this lump of a world we live in. Help us, Lord, to infiltrate by your gospel, by the preaching of it, the teaching of it, the sharing of it, and the living of it. Let us be good, glorious kingdom leaven in this world. I pray this now knowing that this will happen and one day we will stand face to face and your glorious kingdom will last forever and ever. Lord, so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.